Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 15 of Blowing Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart. 37 years is a long time to do much of anything, but that's how long vocalist, singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Jeff Tate has been in the game. From his 31 years as leader of Queensryche to his six years releasing an amazing solo album and a trilogy of albums under the Operation Mindcrime moniker, Jeff Tate is a man that stays constantly artistically busy. The classic Operation Mindcrime concept album is celebrating its 30th anniversary, so it seemed only suiting that Jeff and his amazing new lineup take this album out on the road for what he says will be the last time ever. I had a great time speaking with Jeff, and we spoke about wine, his acoustic tour last year, how that acoustic tour really opened things up for him. We also talked about what it was that got him started in being interested in rock and roll in the first place. This was a great interview, and as always, it was a pleasure and an honor to speak to the legendary Jeff Tate. So sit back and enjoy. Jeff, welcome to Blow and Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. My pleasure. My pleasure. You know, it's funny. This is our third interview together, so I feel like I should have brought chocolates or, you know, or maybe you should have brought me some wine, maybe, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, pretty soon on your doorstep, you know, you might expect a bottle. So, uh, you know. <laughs> Now, now that you've told me that, I'm just going to be sitting on my doorstep waiting for the line to show up, and my wife's going to think I'm absolutely crazy. So, but you know, so. <laughs> are you a wine fan? I am a wine fan, actually. I'm a very big wine. You know, I, my wife and I, we really just got turned on to um, trying just different kinds of uh, wines, and she, uh, she and I have really found ourselves enjoying it. So it's it's a whole new. Uh, world to us. We, we don't know a whole lot about it. Usually when people say they're, they're really into trying all kinds of different kinds, they, they haven't found what they like yet. <laughs> so they're, they're experimenting, you know. So that's, uh, that's good. There's she, a lot of different kinds of wines to try. I'm trying to think of the kind that she tries, that, that she drinks quite a bit, that she likes. It's a, um, you're a wine expert. I know you would probably, there's a million of them. But she found one. Is, in it, a, is it a white wine? Um, it, is, it is a white wine. Uh, well, it could be uh, Riesling, which is a type of grape. Riesling. That's, uh, that's, sweet. that's exactly what it is. It's Riesling. That's what she likes. Okay. She, yeah, she, she, she kind yeah. of found it. I kind of found it to be a little too on the sweet side for me. I like red wines, you know. Um, uh-huh. um, uh, so, again, I'm, I, I feel like it's a whole new world. It's like 
I never understood the people's passion for wine until I re started drinking it and, and I realized, wow, there's so many different tastes and flavors and things that go into it. Um, it's amazing. It really is. And, and, when, when you, uh, and when you travel or you try wines from different parts of the world, uh, they're very different too. You know, they, uh, the wine really reflects the region where it's grown. You know, grapes uh, from that region have a their own characteristics that are unique you know and, the, and it comes out typically with a with a good winemaker that comes out in the in the actual uh, you know, finished wine <clears throat> the differences in the, in the land and the as the french say the terroir the, the land uh, that the grape is grown in really de determines what the, what the wine is going to taste like so I know that you have your own wine in Sania. Um, how did you get involved with wine? Like, when did your passion for that start? Uh, and by the way, I have to say, this is the first interview I've ever done where we started right off the bat talking about wine. <laughs> Which I love because it, gets, it, it, it shakes it up for me. And I love this. But when, when, when did you, because I mean, I follow you on social media and I'm always fascinated at watching you with your little clip out there, you know, in the vineyards and whatnot, and seeing that you you have this very deep passion for it, just as much as you have for music. Um, so, when did that passion kind of come to play? Well, funny enough, it started when I was about fourteen. I was a Boy Scout, and uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> I know it's just very strange, but. Um, Strange the fact that I was a Boy Scout, or strange the fact that I got interested in wine being a Boy Scout. Either way you look at it, it's weird. I think it's a 14-year-old uh, Boy Scout drinking wine. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, you could get a merit badge if you if you made a, uh, a wine, or not a wine, but a, a beverage or a food product. It's mm -hmm. a marketing kind of uh, uh, merit badge. And so uh, I was thinking, oh, I really could probably make that merit badge. Uh, I'm looking through my grandmother's library and I find this book about how to make wine. So I read the book, it's a small little thin book, uh, and it says you can make dandelion wine if you have dandelions. It's mm -hmm. a whole step-by-step -step process. And she had a whole yard full of dandelions. So my first wine was dandelion wine that I made. And uh, I didn't know if it was good or not. I, I gave it to all the adults that I knew and, and they said, wow, this is surprisingly good. So. Uh, I started thinking, you know, about it real early. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, through traveling, uh, I've just sort of come into contact with uh, people that uh, make wine or wineries or um, that kind of thing. So I've just been kind of inundated with it for many, many years. And then I, I met some people who said, you know, you should definitely get into the wine business. Uh, you know, you have a passion for it. And they were winemakers. And um, so I started making wine my first uh, vintage was 2007 correct i remember so i've been, yeah. so I've been at it ever since yeah. and that's fantastic and in that time um have you seen it what kind of evolution have you seen in the process or even in the popularity from two, 2009 till now uh, well, the evolution of, on my own um, has been quite dramatic. You know, I've, I've gone from uh, making wine in uh, the state of Washington uh, with Washington-grown grapes mm -hmm. uh, to now I, I make wine in uh, Europe on the uh, on the uh, France-Germany border, the Alsace region, 
sort of my zanias made now. And we make a Pinot Noir, uh-huh. uh, red wine, and a Pinot Gris white wine. So it's it's dramatically changed, you know. I figured that I, uh, I really enjoy European wines, the taste of them uh, a lot more than I like American wines. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to pick the burr out of my shoe and make the kind of wine I like. You know? Right. That's so switched. <laughs> well, it's so fascinating because um, the last time you were, the last time I saw you live, and the last time we actually um, spoke was when you were here in Atlanta at the uh, at the City Winery, which um, I know was, which I thought was kind of a cool mix. I was like, oh wow, Jeff Tate at the winery. This is going to be great uh-huh. acoustic, you know. Um, that that tour was so fantastic and i really enjoyed that performance so much because you really i almost kind of felt like you 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 brought some walls down if that makes sense and you got real transparent with the audience and the storytelling i mean you're such a great storyteller and that was an aspect of of queensrike that i always thought was mysterious but yet you kind of just peeled it away just enough to give us all a taste of where some of those songs came from um how liberating was that for you if if at all uh performing the show yeah um it was wonderful yeah i absolutely loved that performance uh that tour um it was really liberating in the sense that um the, the presentation was designed around storytelling and um, for years and years and years people have asked me uh, well what's this song about you know how, how did you come up with this or what does this mean I have my own interpretation but I'm curious as to what you were thinking uh, at the time when you wrote it and uh, all those stories I've just you know just sort of kept to myself and uh, I thought well you know in this presentation now it's acoustic it's very stripped down uh this is a good time to talk about all that mm-hmm. so um i did and uh it was uh it, it was a whole different way of presenting what i do than what people had seen before and right. uh, i think that uh to some it was quite shocking to other people it's kind of revealing uh some people, well, actually, I got lots of compliments on the tour. People really enjoyed it. Seeing it uh, and hearing the music in that kind of format was really quite different, which uh, was really, <laughs> I have to thank Chris DeGarmo for that uh, mm-hmm. idea because uh, it was his idea in the first place years ago when we, when we recorded uh, and wrote music for the Empire album. It was his idea to strip it all down and... Uh, see if it could be played on acoustic instruments, acoustic guitar and piano specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, it was his theory that if you if you had a good, strong song, you could play it on any instrument, kind of stand up, you know. You didn't have to have a wall of, you know, Marshall stacks and, a, a, you know, a massive amount of volume and big drum kit to get the song across. You know, a good song is going to stand up on a, on a uh, accordion you know <laughs> exactly because i think yeah. one of the things that that struck me so much about that performance was hearing i mean just hearing songs like uh, you opened up the show that night with walk in the shadows and i remember just thinking like you've taken this song and you've stripped it to its very core and it really mm-hmm. made me listen to it in a whole new way but when you told the story about della brown 
I listen to that song and I see that story every time I hear the song. And I think that that was such a cool thing to 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 be a, to, to witness. Like I, I felt like you kind of let us all in on a secret. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it like you kind of let us in on this. Like, but at the same time, it felt like a very personal story to you. You know, and so when I got when I hear that song now, I I feel it and I hear it differently, and that had to be a very strong thing for you to feel doing that tour. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, instances like that, you know, where you where uh, you know you'd, I'd start down the road of presenting the song and telling the story, and then I'd get a little carried away and end up, you know, telling. Uh, the story in a little deeper manner uh, or reviewing a little bit more information about it and that's one of the things I really liked about the tour was that uh, it wasn't so scripted you know like the Queensbury tour was always very you know this is what we're doing this is exactly what we're doing here 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 and it doesn't change and this was very ad lib you know mm-hmm. kind of makes up on the, on the fly and uh, I had some really interesting conversations during the show with the audience which I've never done before <laughs> And that was really different, too, uh, mainly because I could hear them talking. <laughs> Where, because, uh, you know, I've always used uh, in-ear monitors, you know. Correct. Uh, which, you know, they block out anything that's going on in the room other than music. Uh-huh. And this tour was the first tour I'd done since I was, well, since I started out really uh, using um uh, you know the wedge monitors, the speakers. Uh-huh. So my ears are clear, and I can hear people talking. You know, and <laughs> hearing their conversations, kind of eavesdropping. You know, and they they don't think you're you're listening because you're talking, but I can hear what they're saying. You know, so I just jump into their conversation and hijack it and take it. You know, in some weird direction. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd have to find my way back to you know my point or where whatever where I was going next. You know, meanwhile my band is waiting patiently and wondering how I'm going to recover. You know, but I, I like that. It was really uh, refreshing to, to perform in that kind of manner. Well, it was really funny because I always wanted to apologize to you because when you played in Atlanta, it, this is a kind of a similar story. Was that I was standing sitting in the back of the room with a, my, a good friend of mine, and when you did "Take Hold of the Flame" and you do that kind of that long exaggerated pause where you do "Take Hold," like I thought right. he was only going to hear me, and I went. Oh! like that and then you started that laughing was that was me and then everyone started laughing and I was like oh shit I just ruined the show but I loved that you like it, 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 it you know like I couldn't even contain myself in that moment you know what I mean because that's one of those things I would have done in like an electric show and you wouldn't have even heard me you know? right. and I was like and my buddy goes dude I think you just ruined his song you know, uh, you know, Don, that happened almost every night. And so I don't feel bad. Yeah, a lot of people had the same idea. And, and it was kind of, I just sort of turned it into part of the show, you know, or it, uh, it's just like really pregnant pause before I, I, before I said the next word and somebody would always steal the space, Hold. you know. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd, I'd work that in and i go, really? You know, yeah. really? You're going to do that right here? And the audience would, would you know, laugh and it'd be a funny moment, you know, the levity. <laughs> but it's one of those things that I would think that from the artist standpoint, at least from your standpoint, where you're like, wow, like, you know, that's a, that's a part of the song that for some reason means something to your fans because we all, whenever we're listening to that song, if we're in our car, you know we're at least attempting to hit that note, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
know that yeah. I've ever got it, but I can't tell you how many times I've had friends of mine go do say, dude, do your Jeff Tate impression. And I you know and it's really not very good, but it's it's you know, it's kinda up there. Yeah. Well sometimes I'm, I uh you know, honestly, uh my impression of myself fails miserably sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I also wanted to say happy 30th birthday, but not to you, but to Operation Mind Crime, which is what oh, you're God. out on the road doing. Like, yes. Uh -huh. And, you know, I, I, I have to say, and, you know, we've talked before and I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan, big supporter, but, you know, the people that complain that oh my god Jeff's doing Operation Mind Crime again, I'm like, why don't you guys go talk to Roger Waters, who's been doing the Wall for the past like 25 years? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is essentially like your baby, but you're saying now that this is going to be the last time that you're going to do it. Why? Why do you think 30 is the landmark for you to say? I think it's time that we. Uh, we stopped doing this. Well, you know, Don, it's uh, it's strange to think about, but this is my perspective. I wasn't actually even going to do it again. Um, uh -huh. I get requests, there's so many requests to play this record in its entirety. And you know who from? The fans. The promoters. Oh, no, the, the promoters. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that is a surprise to me, to be totally honest. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. I, I know people People don't think of it from that perspective. They think that, I'm sure they must think that, oh, Jeff Tate can't put that album away. He's got to keep playing it and playing it. <laughs> no, it's like, <laughs> I want to put it away. <laughs> but I, the promoters just, they you got to play my car in this door. you got to do it, you know. Um, okay, one more time? Just one more time. <laughs> one more time for the road. <laughs> yeah, one more time, yeah. But uh, yeah, 30's a good time. You know, it's, uh, I'm singing strong, I feel good. You know, um, i got a great band playing that too, uh, loves the album. And uh, the fans are loving it and uh, turning up uh, good numbers and, you know, the promoters are happy. Uh, everything's good, you know, so... I'm happy. I, I love the album. I love the songs. Uh, it's a very special record for me. Oh, would I like to, you know, would I like to play other music? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but uh, this is what you know people want to hear from me at this point. So, um, give them what they want. So you know, and you do, and you have a great lineup this time. Again, you, you've you've still got Scott Mountain on the guitar. Um, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you have Tristan from who's in your acoustic band um, on guitar as well? Kieran. Uh, Kieran. Yeah. I, 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 Tristan. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm bad with names, so I'm in. Yeah, I'm, anyway. Yeah, Kieran. Kieran Robertson. Yes. Yeah. So he's a he's a young. Uh, uh, amazing guitar player, uh, great singer, uh, songwriter. He also uh, is uh, the songwriter and uh, guitar player in my daughter Emily's band. That's hooked up to as part, which is uh, opening up for uh, me on this tour too. So uh, he's kind of pulling double duty, you know. I mean, but you've you've assembled a great lineup. Like once again, you've found people that are passionate enough about the music that they're going to translate it in the way that it needs. It's what it's what I loved about the lineups that you've had in the past. Even even with the trilogy lineup, you know, was that you you had people who were playing these songs that 
they 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 had that new energy to it that seems to kind of energize you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's important. Uh, I really discovered this, uh, and, and I have Alice Cooper to thank for it. Um, he has uh, a number of uh, really accomplished uh, young musicians playing with him, and I asked him, I said, wow, you, what's that like? Uh, he said, it's, it's invigorating because they come at the music with this uh, enthusiasm that uh, is really infectious, and it, it rubs off on me, and I'm, I'm falling in love with my music again, and uh, it, it, it translates really well live, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I took that advice and that, that concept into my own uh, situation, and I found uh, young players who were really enthusiastic about my music, and uh, they, they hold it with uh, a respect and a reverence that I really love. Um, they're not they're not there to showboat they're there to perform the music as it was written and I even told them I said hey look you know play it play it how you kind of feel it you know give it your own twist and, uh-huh. and they, they all said no no we want to play it like it was written respect for the artist that, that uh, wrote it and performed it and I thought wow well that's that's wonderful. That's really refreshing. I, I respect that. How nice of you. Yeah, you know, it, it really is because, you know, so I think, I think especially in this time, you know, it's the same thing with Alice's band. I mean, I don't know if you, how recently you've seen Alice Cooper, but, you know, he's got this group of, you know, like younger musicians who are up there, but they are playing the songs tried and true to yeah. the the way that they were originally put and again like you said he gives them the freedom to do it but they choose to stay true to the arrangements and stay true to it because that's what they fell in love with yeah so that's exactly it that's why change fell in love with them that was that's what inspired them um you know a lot of them have grown up on all my music and uh they have a they hold it you know special in their heart and uh that's uh, that's really really refreshing. A lot of times you, you you hire somebody and they, oh yeah, well I think I know how to play that song, and then <laughs> they try to play it and they they can't. You know, what a, what a horrible that's, position to be in for both. <laughs> you know? Oh, let me tell you, I I, uh, I uh, got asked to to do a presentation of uh, a set of my music, a short set, uh, in an unnamed country. And uh, they put together a band of uh, professional, you know, name musicians to play my music. I mm-hmm. got there, and this is the, the the day of the show, and you know, to rehearse with them before the show, and uh, none of them knew how to play it. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> and luckily you- there were some other guys that were playing uh, on the same show with, with uh, other musicians, and uh, they volunteered to. Uh, uh, play my set because they knew the songs, right? <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah, it was very enlightening and uh, and kind of shocking. But you know, my music has always been that way. People hear it and it sounds easy to them, and they they sort of think, "Oh, yeah, I got this." But then when they try to play it, they realize that there's all these things going on with it. It's very complex, you know. I mean, you take a chord and you spread it across. Uh, you know, two guitars, you know, uh, that's really a different kind of approach that, that wasn't done uh, before Queensryche, as far as I know. Right. The, the double guitar attack, you know. So it's that's one thing that's really inter- different about it. And then you take, you know, the multiple time signatures we play in and uh, the crossing between four, four, seven, eight, nine, eight. You know, we do all these strange things. We drop beats, you know, every other time through. Uh, a passage, you know, you have to actually know the song. You just can't jam on it. 
Yeah, no, yeah. The, no, these are like folk tunes where you're like, hang on the G for four bars. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's this yeah. like, it's like, the next you time, need to know the changes. Next time, next time through, it's three bars. You know? <laughs> So you, you, that's what I'm saying. You can't jam on it. You have to know the song. You know, you have to know it inside and out. And that's what so many people do is they underestimate it and they, they come unprepared, you know. So, yeah, to kind of backtrack a little bit, we were talking about Della Brown and how much I loved that story. Um, one of the things I always want, I've been wanting to ask you since the last time we talked about was uh, your charity song, uh, The Way the Wind Blows. Um, uh -huh. I thought that was such a really cool concept because Della Brown itself was inspired by, as you said in the Storyteller tour, the, you know, of, of a homeless situation. And it obviously seems to be still very much a problem in your city, but yet you, you seem to be getting more involved. Like you even did some sort of a, uh, like a benefit appearance for not too long ago, didn't you? Where you, you guys did like an acoustic set for something? Um, yeah, I, uh, I've done it a couple of times now. Um, I, I belong to this uh, wonderful organization called Mercy Watch. Yes. And it's a, it's a group of uh, doctors and healthcare professionals and, uh, and people from various walks of life too, all been uh, donating their time and money and energy to uh, trying to help uh, people that are experiencing homelessness and also uh, opioid uh, addiction. And uh, it's a wonderful organization, and we've raised a lot of money to, uh, to fund the program and uh, made some differences in, in people's lives, I think, at the same time. And uh, so I've done a couple benefit shows, and I just recently, before this tour started, I did a uh, appearance with a couple friends of mine. We did a couple of acoustic songs at a town hall meeting. That's what I. Uh, that's what I was talking about. I. I thought it was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And it was. It was a really interesting um, uh, meeting. I've been, I haven't really been to too many town hall meetings, but this was in the town I lived in, and we have a huge, mm -hmm. huge homeless uh, and opioid uh, addiction problem there, right. and uh, trying to do something about it. But it's such a complex difficult situation uh, there's there's no easy answers you know so it's it's really bringing the town together to talk about this and see if you know collectively we could come up with some answers or at least a plan on what to do you know so uh, I'll also um, I haven't uh, released the song yet it's not quite finished but uh, I'm also uh, uh, putting together a, a song for uh, that people can buy and all the <clears throat> proceeds go to uh, Mercy Watch as well and the song is called uh, The Way the Wind Blows that you mentioned earlier right I mean that's you know in, in talking about the situation with your talk it, I feel like the less and less we can stigmatize things like addiction and mental health, which is something that I, I'm I personally, I'm a big mental health proponent. I'm very um, transparent about my mental health struggles and whatnot. Um, so things like what you're doing, I feel like strip away that stigma a lot of times and maybe even open the doors to other people who kind of look at it as taboo which it has been for so many years and now maybe they say wow this is a little closer to home than i think yeah well it's it's definitely a, a situation that touches uh, millions and millions and millions of americans we have a, a I mean, it is, it is an actual crisis, and I don't use that word lightly. It's a crisis within our country. Mm -hmm. How many people are addicted to opioids? 
how many people are experiencing homelessness, how many people are experiencing mental health issues, and they're all connected, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there are some amazing uh, people with uh, a lot of wonderful ideas working on this problem. Hopefully, you know, in the next generation, we can uh, uh, make some real progress I think, in these areas to really help people. Yeah, fundamentally, I'm, fundamentally, Don. I don't know how deep you want to go on this, but man, it's a, it's a, a, a very complex issue because it it has to do with challenging our basic way of life. You know, we live this industrialized, capitalistic uh, uh, existence. You know, oh, yeah. that is very unenlightening for people and unsatisfying for people. And the, the competition aspect of win, 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 win. Uh, there's only, you know, two ways it could go: either you win or you lose. You know, and that is really difficult for people to live in that kind of environment. And mm-hmm. we're seeing it all around us that the, the people are crumbling. They're they're crushed by the uh, the inability to uh, uh, compete at all times, every day, all through their life. And they're, they're asking themselves, why? What good is it? You know, what does it really mean? Why am I doing this? You know, they're all people working jobs they hate just to get by so they can buy stuff they don't need. I mean, it's, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a hopeless, bleak existence you know, to a lot of people. And so to, you know, combat that bleak existence, well, they dope themselves up. And we all do it to some form or other, escapism, through weight on alcohol or, or um, you know, in the States where I'm talking about opioids, it's, it's rampant. Mm-hmm. Uh, pain meds, uh, you name it, you know, we numb ourselves to it so we can get through another day. Oh yeah, and so and so when you're when you're talking about the basic concept of our life that we've created, challenging that, well, that becomes a, such a complex issue. There's, there's no easy answer, so you have to really attack this from a number of different angles, you know. Uh, and so that's kind of what uh, Mercy Watch does is uh, they have these, these professionals from a number of different disciplines all working on this problem to try to come up with answers. So it's it's very, uh, it's fascinating stuff. I, I'm, I'm really into it. Well, I think it's incredibly beautiful that you're doing it because for one, like I said, you've always been someone that I've admired as a fan and as a person because even as a lyricist, I always felt like there were so many things about your music that touched me or that made me feel a certain way or got me through a rough time before even in my youth before I really understood things like mental health and what I was going through or what it or that or that what I was going through was actually a thing and to see so many artists now I mean we've lost I mean you know Chris Cornell um, you know, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park you know I mean every time I feel like we, we lose somebody it, 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 it breaks my heart you know because I I, I, I I know how they feel but I couldn't imagine the level that they are at with everything else that goes on in their lives, the expectancies, the, you know, like, kind of like what you said, like, like the pressures of like, you need to turn this out, you need to do this, you need to have a good show, you need to put, you know, I can't imagine that. And so my question to you is, is that, is, is there, is there any, like, do you think that there's any future of something like this 
to to inject uh, itself into the music industry to try to help support musicians as their own kind of do you know what I mean? As kind of its own little core, because we as artists are different kinds of people than the average person. Well, you mean uh, as far as musicians uh, gathering together and sort of forming some type of loose organization to support other musicians with issues and problems that might need help? Correct, correct, yes. Yeah, I think there are uh, some organizations like that. I couldn't tell you what they are at, mm-hmm. at the moment. But I think there's been talk of that. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, definitely as far as walks of life, musicians fall in that category of people that, you know, uh, I don't know, they, uh, they can really uh, uh, suffer a lot of emotional abuse, you know, <laughs> a lot of them. Well, it's kind of like what we do. Actually, my therapist jokingly said one day to me, I, I told him something about, I said, I said, I'm kind of fucked up. He's like, of course you are. You're an artist. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, and he, and he was like, he's like, us artists are, we all have some sort of thing going on. Cause if we didn't, we wouldn't be expressing ourselves the way that we do. You know, and so, you know, it's always been something, especially something I've thought a lot about over the past year or so about how something could be done to wrangle in that community, you know? Yeah, all it takes is, uh, you know, somebody or a group of people to organize it and, you know, push it together. That's the the key to everything, I think, is uh, you've got to have some sort of leadership in the the area that's... uh, you know, needs it, you know, uh, to gather people together to galvanize people in some sort of movement, you know, right? Uh, or else, or else nothing happens, you know, because there's a lot of people with really good intentions. And you know, you said something a little earlier that really got me uh, uh, talking about artists. Uh, I I really feel that everyone is an artist at heart, but uh, the art has been trained out of them. You know, by their upbringing, their schooling, their environment that they grow up in. You know, uh, unless you're encouraged to uh, develop that side of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you don't. You stifle it and you you crush it and you you know you you go in a different direction. And you have to have some sort of encouragement, I think. Uh, but yeah, I think everybody can sing. Everybody can play an instrument as they try. Uh, it's just that you know. Uh, a lot because uh, they're not exposed to it. I was lucky. I grew up in a, a community and an environment, a home environment that supported and, and uh, believed in music and art. And so, uh, you know, my school had school band. You know, when I was when I was in my uh, uh, formative years, you know, uh, I got to be part of a wonderful school band. And, and a lot of kids don't have that experience nowadays because. The, you know, the school systems have taken art, especially music, out of school mm. now. You know, they don't deem it as important, and, uh, which I think is a, a detrimental mistake in humanity. Oh, you don't develop a, art yeah. and, and uh, that, that side of human um, existence, then, then, then we're all going in some really weird direction that I don't think is... Uh, it's not human anymore. You know, you're just becoming a machine. I just think that if 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 more people like how you and I are talking about, like you know, when I was young, 
I was told that I could play an instrument. I was told that I could do anything I wanted. My mom and dad, neither one of them were musicians, but the minute I saw Twisted Sister, I wanted a guitar. My dad went and bought me a guitar, you know what I mean? Because he said that that you that's something that you can put you can express yourself in in, in, a, in a positive way without having to go do negative things and other things and so it really became yeah. a channel of my frustrations and when I was bullied I you know I, I didn't want to kill myself I wanted to learn the heaviest Iron Maiden song I could learn and get it out of my system, you know what I mean? And like, you know, or like, and I just wish that the that society in general would look at the importance of the arts like that, like how how it affected people like you and I. Yeah, well, art is, is definitely important to uh, human existence. Look back at what's left of human existence for us to study, and what is it? It's, it's art. It's, you know, humans... Uh, uh, attempt at uh, you know describing their surroundings you know through paintings and and uh, later with uh, with words you know once language became common it's in existence you know it's a it's a uh, integral part of being human oh it it really is it really is and but like I have to say whoever it was that got you into it I wish I could thank them because you your music and your art has done a lot for me over the years and like I'm like I said I'm 44 I started listening to Queensryche in 1988 and ever since then your music's been a big part of my life and so I really appreciate well, you, that Well you know what you could you could thank Paul Cantor he's the guy you know who he is Yes uh, from the Jefferson Airplane Correct. Yeah, guitar player for Jeff Sharping. I'm a big, de that, I'm a big uh, deadhead, by the way. <laughs> I heard that guitar riff, you know, uh, for somebody to love. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, my God, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I said is... to my mom, I said, hey, what is that? And she said, what? Said, that, that song, what's that instrument? And she says, oh, that's an electric guitar. I said, I want to do that. She said, no, you can't do that. Unless you play piano. <laughs> you got to play piano for at least one year, and then if you do that, then I'll get you an electric guitar. <laughs> what, a, what a bribe. <laughs> yeah. Well, she wanted to see if I was serious about it, you know. And uh, guitar is a, is a difficult instrument to learn right off if you don't know any music. The piano is uh, it's very logical, and you get immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. You get a key, and you can hit it hard or soft. But with a guitar, you know, it, it takes a lot of dexterity, and, I mean, it's a completely different kind of instrument to learn right off you know when i was nine years old the right. piano made a lot more sense she was very wise in that in that uh, you know concept of <laughs> i'd be i'd get a guitar at nine years old i'd become completely frustrated and i'd walk away the piano <laughs> gave me gave me a lot of inspiration and uh, i fell in love with the instrument action and just led me to uh start you know coming up with my own uh, music very early on in fact she had to discipline me a lot because I, I didn't want to stick with the lesson. I, I wanted to, you know, play my own stuff. <laughs> right. Well, did you ever jam somebody to love on the piano? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I did it in all kinds of different ways, like ballad form, you know, slow waltz, you know, I tried to do a number of different tempos. <laughs> well, the next time you do, like, one of those kind of, like, off, like, off-the-cuff tours, I, I want to hear this. <laughs> I totally want to hear this. 
Yeah, really. I, I work it into my repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> you really should. Well, 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 Jeff, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out to talk to me again. It's oh, my always pleasure, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And again, this was a great interview, and it it, it went it didn't go where I thought it was going to go, which is again why I always love talking to you because it, it it's it always takes me on to some other journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Don, if you let me go, I'll just go all over the place. So, <laughs> but I. I love that because right. I, I love that you feel that comfortable talking to me and that and that 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 really is an honor and I appreciate that Jeff. Thank you Don and uh, we'll see you in Atlanta, okay? <laughs> okay, take care now. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, I ain't stolen the beach out of California. I'm